You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 201 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. What's happening in Gina world? I'm a, I'm a bit wrecked. I'm really sore this week. I've had a big week. Really? And oh, uh, yes. yeah, I've been shooting lots I've been shooting footballers and politicians and celebs I've been all over the place and then like just like you know when you're having those big weeks so I was was, um uh bumping into a shoot and they let me pull up outside the like the main area where I was shooting which was a bit rock star and cool so I did all that and I put my hazard lights on which is like you know because I'm courteous in that way Val yes (laughs) and I forgot to turn them off and uh go to get back in my car to leave yes car would start oh so. no <laughs> no um yeah the battery was completely flat oh, just from no. having the hazard light so it was obviously wow. an issue I think. but how's this? this this i felt like um not great the, the the guy turns up and he's looking at me going can you open the bonnet and i'm like i don't know how to <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm not a feminist. Let let me just hand back my um, certificate. I don't deserve this. He worked it out. But I'm like, oh, yeah, you open it from the outside. There's no little lever, a thing, but I've never looked under the bonnet of my car. Is that bad? That's so bad, Val. Embarrassing. Why, why is but it he, well? Yeah. He, he got it started, and then I promptly forgot about it. He gave me all this advice, and I and after you know when people go, here's what you need to do. I completely yes. switched off. Oh no! And then of course uh, yesterday. I'm uh, getting ready for a, another shoot and uh, I'm, I'm out doing a few errands and I park the car and go to start it. Dead battery oh, again. Oh, no. So I had to call him in and swap again. it over. Mm. I know, but that's stressful. You go, wow, I could have been on my way to a shoot or stuck in a that's car right. park somewhere. I know. Yeah, I'm all good now. So, so you have a new battery that, and all is fine. You know how to open battery. The bonnet of your car. I now know how to. Yeah, I know. That's so bad that I admit to to that. That's a shocker. Do you know how to open your? Uh, I'm sure it, I would figure it really, out. You know, oh, you sure you'd figure it out? But I look, <laughs> yes. I know how to change a tire on a car, and I know where the gasket is. We talked about that last week. When was the last <laughs> and, uh, time you changed a tire for your car? When was it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Exactly. It's been oh, – yes, it's been a while. So because – yeah, well, why would I now? I just you get the guy to come around and do it for you. you know, pay someone to do it. But I know how to. If I was okay. ever you know, in the outback or something, 
I right, know how to do course. it. Of course, yes. How's your week been? Oh, um, yeah, I had a big week too. It was just, it was like I had all these back-to-back appointments or meetings or engagements and I just felt like I was going, it was like a ping-pong ball. And um, it culminated in, uh, at the end of the week, I had to run a workshop for 50 entrepreneurs. Uh, And so that was, that was full on. So I was exhausted by the end of the day, by the time I got home. I don't even think I ate dinner and I just um, collapsed in and had a good old sleep and oh, and watched um, Real Housewives of New York as, just to, to have some mindless crap to <laughs> to And that's what that is. Veg out really? to. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, but anyway, yeah. I was refreshed by the next day, so that's good. But um, big shout out to all our awesome listeners. Thank you so much for all your wonderful well wishes and for those of you who shared beverages with us over social <laughs> yes. media. Celebrating our 200th episode, which was our last, the the, the episode that's just passed. Um, thank you so much because it was so great. We both really did feel the love and we really, really appreciate it because it really does mean a lot to us because, you know, yeah. um, it's some, sometimes you don't know if people are listening and it was just <laughs> great to hear Yeah, that some of you have been listening since episode one or some of you discovered us uh, only recently but have gone back through the back catalogue and, um, oh, just thrilled, absolutely thrilled. It was. It was very, very cool, Val, yes. Mm. And in particular we want to shout out to Emily O'Brien who posted this into the the podcast group on Facebook. Now, if you're a listener and you haven't yet joined the podcast group on Facebook, it's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Uh, But Emily said, just finished listening to and loving episode 200. I found this wonderful podcast at the end of 2017 and spent many, many hours in the kitchen cooking and listening through the archives. I've learned so much and have been so encouraged and inspired by Gina and Valerie, as well as the diverse guests who share their valuable journeys on the show. And one of the things we said, we asked everyone to do, was to post a photo um, that you took before you started listening and then a more recent one. So Emily continues, here's a photo I took before I started listening and here's one I took just this past week. I never gave much thought to lighting before other than to make sure there was some sort of it somewhere, but now I'm slowly learning what to look for and how to work with what's available. I know I have a long way to go and am 100% okay with it because it's so satisfying to be able to identify and correct weak points, points I wouldn't have even been able to recognize before. Growth is such a great motivation. Keep on being awesome, Gina and Valerie. Wow. Fantastic. That's amazing. And that's a great, awesome shots that she shares. It really, a huge difference. So she's got a uh, portrait of uh, the same guy, uh, I think. Oh, it's probably not. I is don't it? think so. It's not the same guy. I don't anyway, think it's but the two same guy. portraits, and you can see the first Unless one. Unless he went which back is, in time. Yeah, <laughs> shot in um, just using daylight. And then the second one, she's working with light uh, and uh, working with post-production and also posing and connecting hacks and using everything that she's learned and what a difference. It's just like chalk and cheese. So good on you. That That's yeah. fantastic to see. Gorgeous. Makes me so happy. Made my day to see that post. 
Gorgeous. And we'll put the images in the show notes as well, which you can find at GinaMilitia.com. Now, something else you can find at GinaMilitia.com is more information about the awesome gold community. So here's a little bit about it. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production, you get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, let's move on to this week's topic. This is really cool because mm. it is about photographing, promoting, and exhibiting personal projects with Alona Nelson. Now, Gina, yes. tell us a little bit about this. All right, so I stumbled across, and, and I, 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 I talk about this a lot that I stumble across people, and it's like it's my belief that there is no accidents in life, and uh, you meet the people that you need to meet at the time that you need to meet them. So I can't even remember the uh, series of events that uh, I managed to find her, but uh, I found her profile, and uh, Alona also has a uh, podcast called This Wild Song, but basically uh, Alona is a, uh, a Melbourne-based artist, and she works uh, mostly with uh, photography, but she also incorporates film and and performance in her work and her stuff is amazing and it got me thinking so uh, as, as photographers when we're shooting how personal do you need to get when you're sharing your personal projects and uh, you know are, are you sharing your authentic truth or are you sharing the kind of work that you want the world to see or, you know or you think that people need to see and then it, that, that led me to thinking about well how do other photographers go about monetizing personal projects and also what is how has the art world changed uh, that you know now that people can self-publish fell and it's so all the gatekeepers who were deciding in the past that if you could or couldn't have an exhibition that whole yeah. world is very different so um I sat down uh with Alona and I talked about uh, subjects like that you know I wanted to know about crowdfunding and how to get uh exhibitions uh funded so uh, Alona's actually uh working on a uh she's been an artist for over 20 years now and uh she's been featured in many 
prestigious uh, publications and galleries and private collections around the world, which is uh, pretty much how I'll be describing you very soon, Valerie Koo. <laughs> um, and her work is she does produce deeply personal uh, photographic essays and she's also currently working on a a lifelong project called The Wild Song and The Wild Song is uh, basically she started in 2012 where she wanted to uh, celebrate the wealth of talented artists from Australia and uh, it's like a whole series of conceptual photographic portraits of Australian female artists who have a unique uh, voice and the theme of the portraits uh, is the artist becomes a part of the and their work becomes a part of the uh, the actual portrait so it's uh, fascinating stuff and fascinating to chat with her and it's like you you'll you'll hear me ask her like the, the one of the opening questions and her answer you can just hear how how much it uh, I just agree with what she has to say and uh, it was just a, a really cool interview so um, I hope you guys enjoy it <laughs> Alona Nelson, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm great. Thanks so much for asking me. I'm so excited to chat to you. Like, I've got so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, what does being an artist mean to you? What's your definition of uh, being an artist? That's a really good question. Uh, For me, I don't define myself as a photographer, even though it's my main medium. I think of myself more more as an artist, as in my personal work, I also use installation and film, and I'm now looking towards using sculpture as well, so it's becoming quite diverse. Um, But being an artist for me is, well, it's just like breathing, really. Um, (laughs) Love that answer. I feel the same way. It is. Yeah, I need it to live. Uh, You feel amazing when you're creating. It's meditation. You're present. Yeah, it's just a wonderful thing. That's a fantastic answer. (laughs) Uh, How – so – With your background, how did you learn your photography skills and all the art skills? Is it something that, like, were you always creative as a child? How did you come to doing a course? What was that decision based on? Because I know that uh, I was always creative as a child, always drawing, always always needed to make something and, and like, with your answer, it – for me creating feels like breathing I have to it's it's just how I feel that the the world is right when I'm making something and I went to art school because uh, I did a teaching degree because I knew I always wanted to have art in my life but the people around me kind of didn't give me the confidence that that could be a career that you can't make a living as an artist and so you always need to have something to fall back on. So that's why I did the art course. And as it turned out, I, I did make photography a career. How was how was it for you? What what was your decision to uh, do any formal training? Uh, for me, yes, I was the same. So I was always creative as a kid, and I was one of those kids that I always knew that 
I was going to be an artist. And I have a very clear memory of when I was around 10 years old and I arranged my Walkman with my Ice House cassette tape <laughs> and took photos and with my, you know, the cameras that took the 110 film. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I went to my parents and I said, you know, I want to do a photography course. And, um, yeah, so from there, like I did photography all through high school and and I started doing self-portraits in high school when my best friend got sick of posing for me. Right. So it started out as necessity but has become so much more. Um, yeah, and then during years 11 and 12, I did as many art subjects as I could and then I went straight on to uni and did uh, a Bachelor of Fine Arts with major in photography. It's the same. Uh, yeah. I, but I started majoring in sculpture oh, and right. I always wanted to be a sculptor. But here's what happened. The sculpture, when I was in high school, I was the big fish in the small pond and everyone said, wow, <laughs> your sculpture is amazing. And, of course, you know, I'm like, yes, that's right, it is amazing. And then <laughs> you get to uni and no one's saying that your work is amazing anymore and I actually couldn't cope with that and I didn't I felt like the the lecturers like weren't giving me what I needed or any direction at all they kind of leave you to go and find yourself and that didn't work for me so I ended up ditching sculpture and went into photography because I didn't get the support and I, I at the time I was angry with the lecturers but now I'm like well they did me a huge favor because they nudged me in the direction that I needed to go in so how was the experience for you? Um, mine was pretty good, although I was insanely, painfully shy. Mm. So I didn't ask questions. Um, you know, I'm a really big introvert, so I found it much easier just to talk one-on-one -on -one with my teachers. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I had a positive experience. I know other people like you that didn't have a great experience. Um, I was always just in the dark room as much as possible, and we had black and white as well as a colour dark room. Um, but, yes, art definitely keeps you humble. It's pretty hard to get a big ego when you're making <laughs> work, that's for sure. <laughs> so... This the whole introvert thing for me is really uh, interesting. I mean, I define myself as an introvert, but I'm not shy. Um, and I mean, I get my energy on my own. I recharge. I like to be with people on a, that one-on-one. -on -one. I don't like being in large groups, and I need to withdraw at some point and be on my own. That's kind of my happy place. And then you describe yourself as a, a shy introvert and yet your work, uh, it's so deeply personal that you're putting out there, like your personal projects really are <laughs> very personal. How does that happen? How does that work for you? It's like this, this, because I can't do that. I mean, I can't put that, that sort of the stuff that the kind of stuff that you're putting out there out there. So like, how, yeah, tell me how that works. Yes, it's quite the um, paradox, isn't it? Um, I am very shy and obviously I'm a lot better now that I've grown up and everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, for me, look, only a few years ago I realised that all of my work 
that I have been creating the whole time is a search for honesty and trying to capture a moment of truth. And it takes, I have to push through my fears and anxiety. Anxiety is something that I have to just deal with 24 seven. And I push myself through that to make really raw, honest work and just put it out there. And I've kind of got this weird thing when I'm shooting self-portraits, some people define it as performance art rather than photography. And so you could see it either way. But, yeah, so when I'm shooting, it's about that moment. And once it's become, you know, once I've chosen the final image, I do barely any editing. I kind of detach from it. Like I see a figure in a landscape. I don't see it as me like a with an emotional attachment to it so yeah it's definitely therapy <laughs> so, okay so I'm looking I'm having a look here on your um on your website uh you've got uh some images uh in sitting within the depths and there's one I release all that no longer serves me um so what's that about? Yes, well, um, last year it was like a lot of people seem to have, you know, that I had a really big life change and it was really about, and one of the other images is called the full stop. So yeah, yeah. this was, you know, the really the full stop. So the end of that chapter and releasing what I no longer need and I actually filmed myself cutting all my hair off because I realized that my long hair was like a blanket. It was protection and attachment. So I'm trying to release my attachments and I cut off my hair. Wow. And so at that like okay, so you're in it and you're saying it's it's therapy and I get that. So what is it that pushes you across the line to release that image to the world? This deeply personal stuff. Are you saying that you you no longer associate with that work and you're okay to press send and upload and put it on a wall or put it out there to the world? How does that feel? How does that work? My work, I really am pushing myself further out of my comfort zone. Before I thought I had, but when I was really honest with myself, ironically, I could push myself a lot further. So my most recent works I feel are my most honest and it does it does make me uncomfortable hitting publish on those and putting them out into the world because I'm exposed completely totally totally and and so is it like just like ripping a band-aid is that how you do it will you sit on it for a while or will you go no I'm just going to do this and you know because I do that when I'm putting out a, a like just an image that I've done of someone else that's got like nothing personal in it and it's like I can't cope. It's like because I'm sending my art out into the world and here's this deeply personal stuff. Is it, so is it like pulling off a Band-Aid? Uh, yes, probably, probably. Um, you know, and something that I always think about is how – in today's society, everything is so curated and yep. photoshopped and it's just so not real and I'm really craving real, honest conversations. So I guess in my small way, I'm 
trying to sort of add that. Um, but yes, it's very nerve wracking. Uh, I work by instinct. So when I'm looking through the images, the final image just jumps out at me and I get like a stomach flip. I know that's the one yeah. and because I connect to it and yeah. And then, uh, as I mentioned, I do barely any editing cause I want to keep it real and just shoot using whatever light is happening at that time. It's just right. recording a moment. And then, yeah. And then I take a big breath and I publish and yeah, just see what happens. <laughs> uh, there's a, another, uh, personal project that you did pulleys and threads thread do you want to tell, tell us about that one yeah sure so I have the BRCA2 gene defect which means I'm high risk for breast and ovarian cancer and so I decided to have a mastectomy as a preventative and I've had two out of the three surgeries and I'll be also having a hysterectomy next year as well. So I'll be going into menopause when I'm 40. Wow. Um, so for me, you know, obviously this really was therapy. So recording the process was really helping me process it myself and understand it because it was just this whole world I had no idea about mm -hmm. and before my mastectomy I also took part in a drug trial for research so they were giving me I had to keep going in for injections before and they took like biopsies before yep. and then yeah when I was in surgery they took another biopsy so they compare the breast cells to see what the drug is doing before and after this drug they were giving me. So, yeah, that was a part of it as well. So, yeah, it was really just to record it and understand it and, yeah, it, you know, it really did help me. Uh, and it, it, like, what I love, if I could say that about these images, is how, like, you pick objects that just seem so regular and normal and they're juxtaposed between the like the images that are a little bit confronting here like you know the the bandage that you've taken off I guess after a, a biopsy or th there's your feet in the, uh, the, the the surgical gown and then there's like your jewelry on the side table that they collect and and then I think it comes down to like the light that you notice even at your feet. Uh, it is uh, an incredible series. And so you shot that and then the popcorn, what's that about? Is that popcorn on a stove? It is, yeah, that's popcorn on the stove. So I think that was post-surgery. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like a journal just yeah. recording little snippets. Um, so I photographed with black and white film, but I also used my phone if I couldn't use my proper camera. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I chose black and white because I knew that this is just such a heavily emotionally loaded topic mm -hmm. and people just naturally – have bring their own experiences of hospital or cancer to it. So I didn't want to use colour, um, not that I've shot anything gory anyway. No. Um, yeah, so and I just used whatever tools I could to take the photos, create a journal, and eventually I will exhibit the work as a whole, but, you know, printing on different mediums and I'd like to make it into a little book as well. 
Fantastic. So, yeah, that's a beautiful theory. So, like, okay, we, we keep talking about the word honesty, uh, which is the most important thing uh, for you when it comes to art, and you talk about how, like, you've seen that a lot of the stuff that's getting put out there is, like, we... It's not honest. It's There's always an ulterior motive. I mean, obviously, people are showing their lives as these beautiful, um, curated, hashtag blessed, amazing moments, <laughs> and we've lost that that sort of that, that honesty in art and in photography. So is that like your ongoing project that you, you're doing now, uh, This Wild Song, do you want to tell us about that and your approach to photographing those artists? I do take the same approach as when I'm photographing myself. Um, so This Wild Song is a series of portraits of Australian female visual artists. When I first came up with the idea, I think it was around 2012, I was just kind of thinking oh, I'd shoot about 20 portraits and I'd exhibit those. Yeah. But my brain just had a field day. I love brainstorming. And now it's grown into a lifelong large-scale project. So the portraits and an interview go on the website, and that's like a free online resource. I've recently just started a podcast as well, and that's another free resource but more designed for artists to have honest conversations about, you know, education, careers, that sort of thing. Yeah. I also exhibit the portraits with artworks by the women in the portraits. So we just had a show in Singapore in March at the Australian High Commission, and I've got a major show coming up at Town Hall Gallery in Hawthorne where I have the entire gallery space, the three rooms. Yeah, and then we also also put on forums, so artist talks as a way to the audience participate and have conversations. And then I also host, well, network meetings, but I would say just a catch-up of whichever artists in the project are free and they can meet each other, help each other, support each other and really build their communities. So it's my way of supporting these women because there's so many incredibly talented women practicing in Australia, but also addressing gender inequality in the arts in a positive way. So I'm trying to create change by, you know, not by telling people off or doing it in a negative way. Just I really want people to see, like, look at all these amazing women and all the things they're doing and a lot of them are mothers and they're still creating amongst all of that as well. All right, so I just uh, I want to come back to the introversion part as well. Yes. So, okay, so you're talking about honesty and uh, having conversations that are more in, in sort of in an art sense, long form rather than uh, small talk, which I, I guess you could describe a photo that was carefully curated and you know, people trying to show everything in their best light and making sure that everything's in the right position, like you see a lot on, you know, maybe an Instagram selfie. It's kind of like uh, it, it is small talk. It has no depth. And I think introverts don't really like small talk. It has to be long form. And so is that how you see your work, your art, it's more, it's a, a deeper kind of a conversation rather than just being 
you know, put out there for the sake of putting something pretty out there? Yes, that's a really nice way of putting it. I definitely really struggle with small mm. talk, um, that's for sure. So, yeah, I'm definitely wanting to go deeper. And when I'm photographing the women for the project, the concept tying them all together is to bring in an element of their arts practice somehow. It could mm. be subtle, it could be obvious. But again, I'm trying to capture them in those in-between moments when the mask has dropped. Yeah. And they're just them because you know what it's like yes. when as soon as you hold up a camera, the people just go stiff and they Photo don't know what to face. do with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you described the, the, your approach to photographing these artists as it's not just a matter of, say, rocking up to their place and going, oh, here's a nice wall and oh, here's a bit of art, let's just take this photo and you've got this preconceived idea and they'll just participate in the photo shoot. It's more of a collaboration, isn't it? Uh, and, and you do appear to spend a lot of time with these people. So walk me through a, um, a session. I know they'll all be different, but how much is involved in setting up this shot? How much research are you doing into the artist and how much of a collaboration is it? Yeah, for the process, I contact the artist and they agree to be in the project and then we'll organise a time to catch up and meet in person. So that's when I just get to know them a bit more and get them to tell me about their work in their words. And I found that when they're talking to me about their work, that's when I have the concept for the photo drop into my mind so I can see it as a finished image. And then I'll talk to them about it and just nut it out to make sure that it's a true representation of them. So obviously, you know, I want them, wouldn't want them wearing a dress if they never wear dresses yep. or something like that because I want them to feel really comfortable and it's them. And then so from there I'll go off and location scout or sort out costumes if I need to, that sort of thing. When I first started I had a tendency to go big. I was trying to go big and flashy and wow. Yeah. And I learnt extremely quickly that trying to work in a way that is not me doesn't work, funnily enough. So yeah, it's I do have to I do have big ideas, but I've found if I just scale them down a bit and simplify and then on the day, you know, you bring in your elements and it depends on what I bring and what they bring and then we just sort of follow the path, you know, what it's like. You do it's a bit of a dance and you have your little good patch where you, you know, you've got it and then kind of the energy goes. Right. And you sort of, you know that, you know, the time has passed. And then from there I'll work out which image speaks to me and show it to them and, yeah, and then we put it out into the world. So will you do... Will you come in with one idea? Because you say that the idea drops in and I've got a side question on that. So where do you think creativity comes from? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, yesterday so I, love I just that went... You said, sorry, I love that you said the idea drops in. I agree that it, it does drop in. Uh, yeah, yes. so I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, 
I work purely with instinct and, you know, when I was fresh out of uni, I felt like I had to apologise that because I didn't have the whole, um, yeah, it didn't feel like I had the whole academic background and the art talk to it, but, you know, this is the way that I am and the way that it works. So, yeah, for me, really instinct, um, you know, I guess I would say I'm a cynical spiritual person. So, um, you know, I do believe in energy and connection and, yeah, I guess I don't know if you want to call it the universe or just the energy I just went to a kinesiology workshop yesterday actually and oh, wow. one, of, one of the other people asked, where does energy come from? So, yeah, that was a big one too. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I also love to uh, work intuitively and uh, it's a hard concept to explain because there are uh, a lot of artists who work uh, – based on technique and it's all about, you know, and with photography it's all about having, you know, the right f-stop and the right equipment and all of that and you can be technically perfect in an image but if the energy isn't there, it'll fall flat, it lacks, it just like it'll be clinical in the way that it feels but when you start to work uh, intuitively then you kind of do get guided in the, I'm not going to say the right direction, but in the direction you're supposed to be going in to, to make this work. So um, I like that I like that you say that it, it is based on that, that energy and that connection between you and the artist that you're photographing. So at, from start to finish on the shoot, is it different with each person? Like are there some people that you'll just get a lot quicker than others because you do have a, a better connection? Yeah, I've found it's probably it depends on the concept. So there's been a couple of portraits where it was a very simple concept and I think probably the connection with the person and the confidence of that person as well, I got the shot in half an hour. Yep. And, you know, that always makes me feel really uneasy because it's like that, I got it. Too easy. But I feel like I should work work a yeah. bit harder for it. But then, of course, there's some other shoots that you have to work really hard and you're just completely drained by the end of it. But, you know, you get there in the end. So what 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 techniques are you using to find that um uh, that 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 moment between frames when they do drop the photo face is it uh, a lot of talking? Is it talking, asking them about their work? What, what do you do in, or is it different with each situation? I'm actually really quiet when I shoot because I need to be in my head. Um, but probably the secret that I've found with people is to have them doing something so then they're not focused on the camera they're focused on you know movement or holding something I do direct so you know turn your head to the light chin up down or just get them to move their head side to side and as they're moving I'm shooting and then I'll be able to sort of find that little spot where yeah they're present and I think with like you were saying you know we're very smart if you're looking at an image that is very constructed and there isn't the emotion in it then you're probably not going to connect to it on that level as well 
So with with the images that you're taking, you, you say that you try and photograph in the most honest way uh, and it's a combination. You are lighting your images, some of them, right, or is it all daylight? It's all natural. Oh, really? Yeah, so for me, you know, that was another thing. Like obviously at uni we learn about studio lighting and that sort of thing. When you go out of uni, you don't have the access to those resources so I think something that's probably been I don't know if it's a skill or what you would like to name it but being able to see the light and conceptually I think that's probably my strengths Mm. and I really love working with natural light and just working with what you've got because you if you're using studio lights it's in one setup you can't move the person otherwise you've got to change all the lights but if you're using natural light you can move the person you can move yourself you can try different things and you could capture some light that you you know weren't expecting that day so yeah I just really love that organic element to it oh you use natural light beautifully you really um some of your images, like I'm looking at them going, well, that's uh, that looks like a studio shot, but no, that's, that's uh, fantastic. All right, so you're, you're getting these images. What I want to know is how then – so you started with uh, – so this series for this wild song started at 20 and now it's grown to how many? Uh, there's over 100 artists in the project. I think I've shot about 45 or 50 so far okay but it keeps growing because yep. there's just so many artists so at the moment I'm trying to sit on my hands and um stop inviting people in so I can <laughs> <laughs> honor the people that are already in it and shoot their portraits yeah but I just get too excited so now you've got a young family is that right so are you, are you working around that or <laughs> I do. So I've got two boys there in primary school. Right. So I work in school hours and night times, obviously, yeah. and weekends. Right. Yeah, just whenever I can. It's just chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what? Are, and you've obviously you've exhibited it a lot. Um, and this is something that I have very little experience in um, unless I go all the way back to my uni days where we had to have a couple of exhibitions and I've not exhibited since. So, like, how does that whole system work and um, how do you think that whole system, uh, that uh, the, the art world in, in terms of gallery spaces is changing um, with, uh, you know, the explosion of uh you know, being able to put your stuff online, and is there has there been a changing of the uh, the gatekeepers now that because of uh, having everything out there on the internet? I think there has. So I finished my degree twenty years ago. Yeah. So then it was a very clear path of you finish uni, you get yourself represented, and you're with a gallery, and that's kind of about it. Yeah. So now, obviously, with the GFC and all the cuts to arts funding in Australia, mm. a lot of galleries have closed and moved online and just do special events. So it really has changed. I think when you're starting out as an emerging artist, you probably have the same sort of start where you would exhibit at artist-run spaces 
to begin with and get that experience, build up your CV, and then from there you're going to make connections and create opportunities and things will just sort of keep going. But your arts career really is a marathon. You just keep chipping away. There's no final destination. You think that – so when I've had – my work featured in say like Harper's Bazaar Australia I was like wow my god that's amazing (laughs) and I got zero emails about that Mm. so it just goes to show that yeah it really is smoke and mirrors and you know looking at Instagram as everyone says it's like a highlight reel yeah you don't see all the the blood sweat and tears behind it so in terms of getting funding that like we talk about the traditional um way say from know 20 years back where hopefully you'd find a Medici who was buying (laughs) your work but um, today there's so many different ways to get funding with the um, the old school like getting a a grant or something like that um, did you ever apply for any of those Uh, because it to me it feels like you need a you know, 50 degrees just to fill in the application <laughs> and, and there is a, a certain technique involved and the kind of the people that are able to do that will, will get the grant, not necessarily the ones who should be getting it. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Grants are just, I find them absolute torture. They are torture. You know, <laughs> oh, it's horrible, horrible. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't got a grant as yet, so I've had to find other ways. But it really is like a whole other skill set that, yes, you don't learn at uni. So we recently had a workshop at the art room about grant writing with the director of Linden New Art Gallery from Melbourne. And, yeah, it's from this series called What I Wish I Learned at Art School because Erica Gofton and I, who run the art room, there is so much that we learnt outside of their institution so Mm. we want to save other artists you know precious time and money to say here's all the mistakes we made this is what we learnt you know here's some information and you know you can work better so you can be in the studio more fantastic so all all right i'll put i'll make sure we put all those links uh in the show notes because that sounds like an amazing resource um if you can crack that (laughs) for for for, you know i guess that there still are grants around that you can pick up Um, there are yes yeah there's still a few around so need to do your research think outside the box not only look at say the australian arts council but also look at your local council think about other organizations foundations that might relate to your particular body of work so you do have to get creative yeah and and also for other listeners around the world i'm sure in your particular country there would be the similar system so it's just a matter of uh working out how to crack the system the other thing that's come along, uh, and it's it's only a very recent thing, is uh, the use of uh, crowdfunding to get uh, things up and running. And you've managed to successfully uh, crowdfund uh, a, a, like a an exhibition to taking your This Wild Song to Singapore. Is that right? It's, was that through crowdfunding? Yes, I've done a couple. The first 15 portraits from the project I self-funded and then I did a possible campaign where I raised 14000 which was beyond amazing. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, no, it was wonderful. I just, uh, I just couldn't believe all the support. It was fantastic. So that enabled me to get a proper website built to be able to handle having, you know, over a hundred pages of features on there. And it also allowed me to shoot the next 20 portraits for the Singapore show. We were rejected for funding. So we had 40 artists that are participating in the project donate a work. Incredibly generous, you know, a lot of them weren't even going in the Singapore show. And through that, we raised enough to get myself and the work to and from Singapore. But for the town hall show, as I still don't have any funding, I'm about to launch a campaign through the Australian Cultural Fund. So that's where people donate money and it's tax deductible. Right. Okay. So th- this idea, the crowdfunding idea, pushes all my partners of like, I was brought up, you don't ask for help like that because what are people no. going to think? Okay. So I've got my mother in my ear, like <laughs> in my mind, you know, mine's, uh, they're saying things like, what, what, what are you doing? You're pu- putting your hand out, asking people to help you. It makes you look like you can't do it yourself. It's not right. That, so that's what goes through my – how do you how do you work around that and what does that look like setting up some crowdfunding to, to get your project out there? Are you just, again, detaching from the work and thinking about the greater good because obviously This Wild Song is about helping – um, artists get their work out there and be seen. Um, ha- how does it work in your head? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is extremely confronting. I don't think I've met an artist that is comfortable with self-promotion yeah. and putting themselves out like that and asking for help. But with the project, because it is I see it as a we, even though it's just little old me behind the scenes, you know, like a duck paddling. Yeah. I see it as a we, I see it as community, and that's really the most important part of the project. That's the heart of it. So I do think, well, yes, I want to get or help these people get their work out there, gain a greater audience so I can do this, and it's a it's a group effort. But crowdfunding, it really is a full-time job. When your campaign is on, you're just 24-7. So, yeah, you really need to do a lot of planning, a lot of scheduling, and, you know, to make it successful. You've gone to all that trouble, so you want to do the best that you can and get results. So so how does it work? You, you dis- decide on, like, there's a few different ways to do it, isn't it? There's ones where you've mm. got to reach a certain figure and if you don't get it then it fails and then there's others where it's just as how much you get is how much you get so can you just um talk about the 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 different models quickly yeah definitely so through possible that's one of the ones where if you don't hit your target you don't get anything that's so so cool though you do all the work and you get nothing (laughs) so so it's to, you've got to come up with – so you pick a figure, you go, all right, uh, I need 20 grand, and they give you a, a time frame? Yes, yeah, so you do your budget and you get your application together. You decide what rewards you're going to have to offer to people. So you what, do what really, does the rewards oh, sorry. mean? So, so re- with Possible you have rewards, so say – and you get a postcard or $150 and you get a print. So you decide 
what the rewards are, how many of them are available and how much they cost. It's really important to factor in the cost of creating those awards into your budget as well as fees from Possible and PayPal as well. Right. You need to be mindful of that. Yep. Yeah, so you submit it and Possible will accept it or let you know if there's, you know, they're really great. They'll give you tips on perhaps you could do this or that, that sort of thing. And yeah, you set your date for launch. You decide the length, usually 30 days is best. It, it will start off great. It'll go dead quiet in the middle and you panic. (laughs) And then in the last week it comes through and you get over the line. So yeah, it's pretty high adrenaline stuff that's for sure so is it be- is it best with possible to just maybe not aim like you wouldn't be you, you drop your figure a little bit so that it gets you across the line rather than aiming super high or yeah it probably depends on your project but yeah i think you need to be really honest and realistic and you know there's stats i think the average person would spend about $50 so if you kind of think about your community that who how many people do you think realistically would chip in some money and obviously you know some people will chip in five if they've got it or other people might chuck in 200 so it's really it's just so variable so yeah I think yeah be honest about sort of how much money you need and what you think you could raise and obviously maybe set some goals and I think just be really honest with your audience and say goal number one is this and that's going to pay for that and then you could have some other goals going up so people know what you're doing and what you're creating and and what you need. And so for this sort of campaign um, does it make sense it's not like you okay so you come up with this personal project and then you decide that you need funding you wouldn't do all of that in the in the one day there needs to be a lead up or and and sort of getting the community engaged in what you're doing so are you uh with uh the process of this wild song even before you started this uh possible campaign did you uh, engage your community and here's the photo that I'm doing this is what I did this is what I'm thinking just to get everyone sort of on board and feeling like they're a part of the experience as well I did I talked to people about the women that are in the project and who I'm going to be photographing and sharing behind the scenes um, but it's also really important to in your lead time to have a media release and try and get some press as well so I got some press for it which was fantastic so in the age so the Melbourne paper yep. I had a two-page spread so that was really incredible support and yeah you'll just be amazed it's um it's just so wonderful that people just come out of the woodwork and if they can't support you money wise they can share your project and yeah it's just it's really lovely it was um yeah fantastic experience so what would your lead time be to um set up a campaign like that how far out would you start um you know getting the work out there and sort of trying to get your community on board and sending out press releases I think if you've got a lot of time then six months before if you want to send media releases to magazines you probably want to do that about six months prior Mm -hmm. and then that gives you time 
you know, also to submit to bi-monthly magazines and then newspapers, you can send releases, you know, two to three weeks before the release date. So, but if you are pressed for time, you know, even a couple of months, I think you could still create a successful campaign. And how did you learn how to do a media release? Uh, Self-taught. Right. And is it (laughs) trial and error? Yeah, I sort of, I've picked up things along the way and have a much better understanding of it. I recently did, hosted a workshop at the art room as well about writing media releases and marketing your exhibitions. So yeah, it's really about doing the work for them and being really clear with your writing, explaining what it is, who you are, what you're doing, having landscape and portrait images depending uh-huh. on that's you know if that tip. suits you yeah. yeah if that if that suits your work obviously with this world song everything's landscape but if your work is that and you know having a private media page or a dropbox folder where you've got low res images high res ready for print all the documents everything there and just give yourself the best chance that you've got Oh, that's fantastic advice. That's uh, that's excellent, and it, and it, it is a, a way of trial and error. But if you hand uh, the, the media companies everything, everything they need, usually they'll they'll print it out word for word, won't they? Yeah, they can definitely just grab bits that they want or do a bit of an edit. And it's really important to think about what makes you stand out from the rest as well, or you know, what is something in your work that people will connect with and highlight that as well. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, I, I love everything that you're doing and I'm really excited to watch where, where this goes because I think it's, um, it's, it's just such a beautiful idea and I love your work and I love everything that you say about what you do. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> so if people want to um, check out your stuff, where can they find you if they're interested in doing any of your workshops? Where's the best place to find you? Uh, yes, I am all online. Um, so for the project, it's thiswildsong.com.au. For my personal work, it's alonanelson.com. And the teaching studio is called The Art Room, which is located in Melbourne. So if you Google it, you'll find us. And we're on Instagram for all of those as well. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And I wish you best of luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Wow, cool. Okay, Alona Nelson. Now, I just love the fact that she has this project where she's photographing Australian female artists. I think that's such a wonderful um, idea and a wonderful way to niche down into something specific and obviously something that she's personally interested in. But and passionate those, about, yeah. And passionate about, yeah. But all of those people, all of those female artists will have would have an interesting story behind them. So um, yeah. she's not just sort of taking random photos. Uh, So I love that. And if anyone wants to check that out, that is at thiswildsong.com.au. But also you can check out Alona's actual website, which is Alona Nelson. That's I-L-O-N-A Nelson.com. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course. And um, she has a podcast as well, has she, Gina? Yeah. Yeah, This Wild Song. So check it out. So that's uh, interviews with artists and how they manage their life and work-life balance and all of that. Quite interesting. So uh, well worth a listen.
Brilliant. All right, great. So what else are you going to be doing until we chat again, Gina? Oh, my God. All right. So I have so much on, Val, but uh, I think I'm about to uh, go back to editing uh, a doco that I'm working on. So that was uh, awesome. stuff that I filmed in India. So I'm cutting Can't that together. To oh, I am loving this process, Val, so much. Like, wow. This just, is a new, Gina's new thing. So cool, but it's like it's all of it that like, you know, how much you can uh, change the vibe and the feel of the feel of a, 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 a clip just by where you cut it and the music that goes underneath and, and all of that. I'm just loving it. So I'll be working on that, editing images, doing some stuff for the goal community. Big week. What about you, Val? Oh, um, a lot happening. Um, I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for tomorrow because I have a um, declutterer or professional organiser coming over. (laughs) And um, she's quite – she was actually quoted in a national uh, publication, Good Weekend, um, a couple of weeks ago, and the writer described her as frightening frightening yet endearingly human at the same time. And um, I have worked with her before, and that is the exact description of this person. Um, yeah. <laughs> she was the one. I've told this story on the podcast before where um, she was de- helping me declutter my clothes, and she held up the hot pants. And she just oh, looked she at me. Oh, she to get rid of the hot Kylie Minogue yeah, she, hot pants. She looked at me, held them up, and just said, how old are you? <laughs> And they've gone now. I would have kept them. I would have fought gone. for those. I would have fought for those. But is this uh, is this how you found the Leica camera? Because you were like going no. through your stuff. Uh, no, that well, that was a, a separate thing. I mean, we just had to move some boxes, and and uh, yeah, that was the that. So I found the Leica, which and I've posted that into episode two hundred show notes for anyone who wants to have a look. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a great little um, a rediscovery of one of the things that I now remember that I own. <laughs> Fantastic! Well, we'll see what this uh, declutterer digs up and what that brings up in you because it's uh, it's it's quite a challenging process where you when you it, have to let well, go of stuff. Well, she's a declutterer, but she's also a professional organizer, and I'm pro- essentially using her professional organizing services because my studio, my art studio is currently a disaster. Um, Mm. and there's no, it's, it's, it's not organized in any kind of logical fashion. It's really inefficient the way I move around in it. I can't access things. So hopefully her magic touch, I'll take before and after photos actually. Mm. Um, uh, hopefully her magic touch will mean that I have a great and wonderful studio by the end of tomorrow. So we'll see. Wow. How mm. exciting. I know. What's... I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. So anyway, um, where do we find you online, Gina? So GinaMilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. You can find me across all social media on that name. And if you want to connect with me in person, you can check out the Goal Community if you're thinking of taking your photography to the next level, Val. And uh, we've had 
so many great success stories coming out of the gold community. I'm so proud of my goldies. They're just yeah. doing some amazing stuff. What Absolutely about you, Val? Absolutely fantastic. Uh, you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Instagram, uh, which is the main place I'm hanging out these days. And also, yeah, connect with us on Facebook at the uh, So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community. We look forward to chatting to you again next time thanks guys thanks for listening to so you want to be a photographer for more information free resources and gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer visit GinaMilitia.com.